Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast. And up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. G'day and welcome to the Farm Advice Podcast where we talk everything agribusiness to help you out on your farm. Now this is a follow-on for the Harvest Series but over the weekend we celebrated rural women and all of their impact and how far Australian agriculture has really come. Rural women are really having an impact on Australian agriculture and are directing it as you can see from the CEO, the leaders, innovators and entrepreneurs that we had on the show previously so thank you for the kind women for coming on and giving us a bit of their time to see what their resilience was in the wake of COVID-19 with the farmers to founders panel and also the rise of rural women on farm and in office with Lee and Justina from the Byfields team over in WA but let's crack on with the harvest series for the Farms Vice podcast we've had three episodes so far and they've had a really good reception which is good Hopefully, there's a few farmers out there and workers listening to them as they get on with their own harvest up north so far. But for this episode, we'll be jumping into agronomy with a mate from uni who's done pretty well out in the paddock, of his own paddocks, but also for his clients as he's moved in to a private agronomy, helping out those clients get the best yield for their crops with the given environment that we've had a few rough years currently over in the mid-north of New South Wales, so let's get cracking into this episode. Today, for the second time, we have Richard Avendado. Sorry, mate, I deleted it last time, but I'm sure this is recording. I'll just check now. Yep, good to go. How's things? Very good. Thanks, mate. Um, good to be back on. Finally going to air after recording <laughs> twice. Absolutely. Got cut time for a shit interview. Um, it's measured twice, cut once, but I cut twice and measured once only for that but good to have you on the show and it's probably even better to have you on the 
Harvest Series for the podcast itself. It's a huge moment for Australian farmers. It's a bit like the grand final for farmers getting off their crops, especially for those broadacre cropping guys that aren't mixed enterprise um, like yourself and ourselves. We got livestock as well. Um, so it's a big time, both within horticulture and grains. But for this episode, we'll focus on the grain side of it. For yourself, can you just give us a bit of a spiel about your personal story and your connection to agriculture? Yeah, so I um, grew up on a farm west of Bogabri. Um, oldest to three boys, most of yeah, we're involved in agriculture in some way or another, all three of us. Um, so we mainly growing up, it was started as a smaller enterprise and just majority of the last 30 years has just been building up a bit of an Angus herd, tried a few breeds, got there and always a bit of cultivation on the side. And it was originally a lot of it was just um, forage. Uh, and then we've kind of been diversifying the um, operation the last I don't know, getting close to the 10 years now. Um, so we do have a, not a big cropping program, but it'll be about 13, 1400 hectare cropping program, run about a thousand breeders, um, take the project out of the feedlot weight. We used to run a few more, but diversification's kind of limited that a little bit. Um, so I went to Union Armadale where I met you and then worked in Moree district for a number of years, um, originally working on a big cotton property west of, more in Ankitar, and then I'm um, working for McGregor's as an agronomist. Uh, I started working for myself about four years ago now. Um, and yeah, kind of back involved in the family farm, do a bit of share farming myself. And yeah, good mix of um, different roles, but certainly been involved in ag for quite a while um, and love it every day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's a great start. Yeah, we both met each other at UNE. And a few UNE alumni have been on the show. Um, so fantastic to have you on here. Why did you feel the need to go out on your own to be, like run your own agronomy? Uh, I don't know if it's feel the need. It was just more I, I wanted to. I mean, yep. everyone wants to be their own boss. And um, I kind of, yeah, wanted to move back into the Bogabra Gunnedar area. Um I was living in Moree at the time and I don't know, I felt like I had enough of a client base, not massive one, but it could pick up more work and, you know, do a bit of work on the farm as well. So I don't know, I was probably a little bit younger and just thought it was a good idea. Maybe didn't quite know what I was in for, especially with a pretty serious drought that kicked off just after doing it. But I don't know, it was just, I felt that I had more to offer farmers if I worked for myself too. Um, uh, yeah, I've enjoyed it. It's been challenging, but I wouldn't say that I felt like I needed to. It was more of a, you know, desire to go into the self-employed thing and, you know, forge your own path kind of thing. Yeah, and you can sort of work it in with your home family farm there to, like, work it in with that enterprise, you think? Yeah, absolutely. Like, a lot of my guys now, I live in Gunnedah, but a lot of them yeah. are geographically spread within an hour's drive in a direction of here. Quite a few in our um, family farms area as well. But a lot of my guys are all, and girls are all starting to push in a similar direction. Um, and it works in well, like I could do three days agronomy, three days on the farm or one day agronomy, five on the farm or four on the farm. It doesn't matter. Like always busy, but it's, I like the diversity it offers too. Um, yeah, I find that quite enjoyable. Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't be able to run this podcast if I didn't have the flexibility that agriculture provides and sheep don't need a hundred percent of your time. So that works in pretty good for the podcast. So life 
as an agronomist, what's your day look like? Let's look at it like from the harvest sort of point of view, ramping up um, from planting time or even before that, how's your day look and how's it run when you're talking with your growers out there, even your old man? So, I mean, like this time of year, it's we're, a lot of the agronomy inputs done apart from harvest decisions like desiccation and, you know, we've got through a lot of the in-crop stuff and now we're just trying to get the timing of those kind of operations right. Um, like I said, we're only two weeks away from harvest, so most things have started to turn. But, you know, throughout the year, it's kind of having a good relationship with your growers and, you know, most of them have been farming far longer than I have. So, yeah. you know, there's a certain degree of self-sufficiency there. But, um, yeah, it's just like, you know, getting eyes on crops is a big thing and continuing to talk to them and make sure everything's tracking well and try and be proactive, I guess. So always out in the paddock or talking to them, making sure like before an issue becomes a problem, like you're dealing with it and, um, and yeah, making plans throughout the season too. So, you know, you know what, you know, it's just a handy thing to kind of have a bit of a plan in front of you to work towards or work with. So yeah, like I'd be out in the paddock with them or um, scouting around by myself sometimes. It all depends. And they're all pretty busy blokes too. So um, it all varies throughout the year. But, yeah, you try and spend as much time in a paddock as you can. Yeah. So when you are checking on the crops, a bit of advice for myself, how often should you check on your crops? Uh, depends on the time of year, really. Like uh, when do you get in that planning window? Like you want to be in the paddock every week no doubt yeah um and then like it can ramp up you know with things like chickpeas and canola or faba beans in winter crops say like when you get in that peak flowering time like we've probably come out of now but what was that like start august onwards when you're starting to flower or set pods you want to be in there possibly a little bit more often if you can just keeping an eye on insect levels um prey and predator just yep. tracking your beneficials as well checking for disease in wet years, like with your chickpeas especially, you could be in there nearly before and after every bloody rainfall event. And then same kind of goes with summer crops, mung beans, corn, cotton, sorghum, like you get that press, uh, pest load later in the year. So there is times of the year where you want to be in the paddock twice a week if you can. But there's times like you know, kind of just before or after a lot of that in-crop spray or fertiliser application or over fallow where you don't need to be in there every week, let alone twice a week. Um, good to be keeping eyes on as often as you can, but it doesn't mean it's um, the same all year round. Yeah, absolutely. So is this twice a week, is this yourself as an ag agronomist checking it or is this the farmer getting in there, giving you a bit uh, of an update? It's a, it's a yeah, it's a very, some, so very sometimes. Like, yeah. um, you know, I'll always try to be in those peak parts of the year in there once a week and often I do rely on them for a second time or if you know depending on the location if it's convenient I'm in the area I can do that too certainly yeah once a week it, I'll be in there um, at those peak yep. periods yeah so, good stuff yeah, like well, most of those guys are gonna you know with a bit of guidance they know what they're looking at too so yeah absolutely it just relies on their experience in there how do you deal with having the older farmers in there and then you being a young fella coming on they are they willing to take on your expertise and take a new yeah, absolutely route. absolutely i guess that's why i do their agronomy being a younger bloke and being yeah. private so they're, they're paying me on a whatever rate like rather than just having it through a reseller so yeah i think the kind of farmer that takes someone like that to do their agronomy work it's because they're willing to listen and learn and do things different and i think that's one of the 
best things about the job actually is the kind of person you get to deal with. Like all my clients have become pretty good friends and they're all exceptional operators too. Um, so I really enjoy that interaction. Um, it's very rewarding and I learn plenty too. Like if I go out and farm with one of them, we drive around half, half a day. If I haven't learned something by the end of it, I'd be surprised every yeah. time. So it's a very good relationship. And um, yeah, it's just, yeah, there is the stigmatism and the stereotype with older farmers, you know, and there's plenty of it around too, but I guess I've been lucky enough that I, most of my guys are quite forward thinking and I'm um, willing to learn and listen. Yeah. Excellent. I think that's a bit of a hidden benefit for yourself going private agronomy side of it. So for your farmers, what does their cropping sort of program look like for 2021? Did it impact like straight after the drought, the varieties that they were going for or what you recommended? No, I mean, coming out yeah, last year, 2020, we kind of had no ground cover. So yeah. it was a pretty big emphasis on getting our cereals back in. There was areas of canola still. Um, it's a bit of a staple in our rotation. So we, yeah, like, like speaking from a personal um, experience there, like we prioritise getting ground cover because we've been kind of three years without anything. Yeah. So some of our paddocks have copped a bit of erosion, unfortunately, like, you know, just as much due to the weather as it was to management. We, you know, it was nothing we could really do. Um, so this year, obviously, canola was always going to be before the prices really got crazy. It was a big part of our rotation. Um, you know, having a pretty big cereal rotation last year, we wanted to really start the rotation progressing, I guess, and start to vary. And so it was already a pretty big part, um, part of our, most of our rotations heading into this year. But, you know, there was the odd extra hectare added coming up to planning when the price was starting to get towards $700. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's probably been a pretty good year for it really i think um the cereals could be a sneaky high earner too though there's some pretty promising wheat out there yeah 100 and i have seen that canola was taking off and a few people there was a few over wa getting a bit more in as well why why was a canola a good bet even before the price rise is it adding more um, nutrients into the soil for your rotation yeah well it's not the uh, it's a different root system i guess when you yep. when you say that then a big taproot but it's a fantastic part of our rotation like even in a you know if you took our average yield and you said it was somewhere between one and a half 1.75 tons of a hectare and we're averaging 550 long term it's actually quite a good part of our rotation like it's a it is a break crop traditionally but it's actually quite a profitable one for us like Often our best earner, I would like to think in the last few years, our average yield has been pushing up a bit more every year, getting closer to 1.75 to a little bit above that. Yeah. Um, so it is something we do have a pretty good run with in our area. Um, strong price traditionally. Get it in early on a full profile, been a bit more of a summer dominant rainfall area. And we can generally push out some kind of yield that's not too bad. And then you put in all the um, attributes that you want in the break crop, like, yeah, taproot, herbicide mix and rotate um things like that it is yeah quite good and there's a saying that every wheat crop's better after canola so you know that's yeah, okay. all part of it. you know not to the extent you expect yeah. after favor beans or chickpeas but it is a very good part of our rotation yeah unreal this is all new to me i didn't pick agro as my major at uni so it's good to hear all about it for your region around Canada, Moree wherever your clients may be, what's the biggest challenges coming off 
the four years of drought, a pretty decent year last year and moving into this year, it's been pretty wet, hasn't it? Yeah, look, every year has unique challenges. This year it's certainly been, and summer crop before, um, certainly been excess moisture. Um, start of the year we sprayed out sorghum and then couldn't get a header on the paddock for eight weeks after 250 mils and took a bit of a hit there. And then there's been issues throughout the year, like just getting our operations done timely. Like we all yep. managed to get our sowing done quite well, except for a few guys who missed a large portion of their winter crop, um, just simply too wet. And then even for us that did get most of our rotation, our crop in, you know, we had issues like getting spraying, in-crop spraying or spreading fertiliser. Like my brother Matt and I spent a lot of hours in a tractor bog this year trying to get those simple jobs done. Um, we've ended up using the plane a hell of a lot more than I've ever had before. Um, just getting Even on your home spraying done. Yeah, we probably, like myself, I've had the plane out four times um, yep. between desiccating summer crop and, and um, three times in crop. Um, so it's just been one of those years and there's plenty of challenges that go along with that, just the wet wet um, winter, you know, and there could be some to come with this rain keeps up with wet harvest as well. So fingers crossed we dodge it, but not only that, we've had pretty high aphid numbers and heliothus numbers. Um, we've been all right for rust and things like that this year, disease in general, but last year we did have issues but definitely a lot of insect pressure this year. And then over last summer, obviously the mice were a fair issue, but uh, every year has got its issues and a wet one is no, not any different. Yeah. Well, we had that mice play coming down. They were speaking about a bit of a rebound there in the North. You're a bit more North of me. What's the mice plague doing up your way or even further North? No, look, I'm honestly shocked that we haven't had a really big outbreak again because the numbers, you know, died off pretty hard going into winter, but there was still a bit of activity around the sheds or under timber. And I really thought with the conditions being so favourable that we would see um, some pretty good numbers. But, you know, we have hardly, we've seen the odd mouse, but certainly no any threshold. So that's been a really pleasant surprise. Um, definitely one I wasn't expecting, but, you know, it's been quite, quite wet the last uh, two or three weeks now so i mean that's probably going to keep in any numbers at bay and we might just sail through summer without you know touch wood too many issues yeah absolutely i was just cleaning out our header and we had rats infested right through it into the air con and also they got into the tubing on in the engine into the cooler as well so hopefully they don't come back and wreck havoc like they did before but for farmers yeah, they how can farmers better work with agros to improve efficiencies, productivity of our lands? Um, you said like there's a, for the older farmers working with them, it has its benefits, but it also has those times where they probably think they know more information. How can you see like from your point of view and as an agro, how farmers could work better with yourself, not just your clients, but throughout Australia? Um, I honestly think just ask more questions, to be honest, and inv involve them as much as you can in the planning and decision-making process. Yeah. Um, like not to say the agro is right, but the more people you've got working on something or the, you know, the more input you can get, um, and always, you're always going to make a better decision when you've got more information. And a lot of the time the agro, you know, it's just nuances that sometimes they might pick up on as well. So whether that's, you know, crop rotation planning, even things like marketing and, um, how to set up, you know, quite a lot of agros work as farmers as well. So it's just a bit of information sharing and, you know, trying to get them as involved in the operations you can. I mean, the other big thing for where an agro probably comes in is just trying to do their 
you know, to stay on top of all new information and things like that, which, you know, now that I do a bit of both farming and agronomy, I can understand for farmers, it's quite easy to, um, to slip over and not um, keep up to date with everything. So that can be its own challenge too. So they're probably two big things where I think um, farmers can really take more advantage than probably a lot already do. Yeah. With um, better utilizing their agro. Yeah, going back to that one of like the key trends, how like varieties pop up everywhere, here, there, everywhere. How do you, like what resource do you go to to be able to find out the latest information as an agro? Is there one? Uh, yeah, GRDC's got yeah. a fair bit of um, fair bit of work out there. So the NVT online is a fantastic resource. And if you haven't looked into it, you probably should. Just, you know, it's just a varietal comparison a lot of the time at all different sites over multi-year so it gives you quite a lot of information you know that site might not be right near you but you know for Gunnedah there's one in every direction and the same for Narrabri so it's quite a lot of information you can take on board and that's wheat, barley, canola, favours, sorghum it's you know quite diverse too I mean we didn't get much data that was of any use in the drought um, but you know there's a lot of the resources a lot of um, you know a lot of the reps from seed companies are quite helpful too um, yeah. and i find them they have quite good take on it you know looking at crops in general is a good way just to see what works for your environment i think a lot of our varieties do take a little bit of figuring out how they fit best in your rotation certainly with things like canola with you know a new commercial line released every year that's suitable for our district and essentially um sometimes it's just check the nvt check the black leg rating or whatever it may be and put it into the program whereas some of our cereals you know, we can kind of find something that suits our system a little bit better and we tend to stick with it. A lot of us grow, um, for example, Lancer variety wheat. Um, I don't know how old it'd be, probably 10 years old now. But for us, it's still an exceptional variety. Like it might be a little bit of a yield penalty behind some of the newer stuff released in the last two or three years. And we, you know, we are looking elsewhere. But, you know, for us, it works well with the sowing window being versatile, grain quality, um, disease resistance, things like that. And we're familiar with it too. We know how it behaves yeah. with a hot finish or um, we like the growth habit of it as well. So I, I think, you know, it's taking on resources but seeing how things work in the field too. Yeah, definitely. It's that mixture and finding the, like the key mix that works really well. You may drop a tiny percentage of your yield, but that comes into weed resistant, pest resistant, um, and can probably those elements are probably going to save the farmer a little bit more money and even time for for yourself as you carry out your day as an agro both home and with your clients what sort of technology if any at all do you use um i mean i've got an ipad and a phone and you kind of run a business through them now but in the agronomy terms a lot of it's through software like ag world is constantly open it's just what i yep. use for doing all my um, agronomy work it's great I've got I think seven years of data on there now so you know it's a pretty handy tool to have um, do use quite a bit of NDVI imagery it's just a really good ground truthing tool yeah so it just gives you the green leaf area or the amount of green leaf area essentially like in a density if you think of it that way it's great for um, getting a bit of idea of what's happening in the crop with maturity, density, plant density, everything like that, just even crop health. Um, I do use a drone. It's not the handiest thing, but with with a big canola area this year, I've been able to get over a bit, you know, I'm not that keen on walking a kilometre up the road <laughs> with heavy flowering canola. So yeah. 
just as a visual aid, it can be handy. I mean, it's limited in what it can do. But that's saying I do use a bit of as well. Um, it's things like weather stations, pretty straightforward and I think widely used now. There's not a hell of a lot that goes into, you know, not a hell of a lot yet. There's still more resources we could be using. But if you're looking at the farming side, I think that's where a lot of the PA stuff's coming in or has been used for a few years now, things like PA. Yeah. Um, with variable rate stuff. Um, I can do a little bit of that, but it's definitely not my forte um, with your variable rate maps. Yeah, I think for I think for the sector, um, it sort of rings true the same sort of everyone's sort of similar to what you are. It's traditional sort of digital assets that everyone's using. But it's interesting, like the ag world, are clients, are you using it with your clients and you can sort of be updated live to what the clients crops are doing and how they're all going no, it's more like um sending you know spray recos for yep. recos like that um i mean it's other handy features it's got an, uh, one of the many ndvi setups in it through um satamap i think and even just you know it's got a library of all your labels and msds's and sds's and things like that it's just a really good database for a lot of decisions you make as well and like logging you know, you can put your soil tests in there for record keeping, your pests you observed, what dates you did things, what fertilizer history it was. It's just um it's just a good decision making tool through compiling a lot of information, I guess. Um, and it makes it a hell of a lot easier. Does it save so what's it, the best about it? It saves the time, like actually physically talking to the farmer or saving the Oh look, you still right there and talk to him, but it's like, you know it's instead of writing something down on a piece of paper and passing it to them to be lost, you know, yep. you've got a digital copy. Your echoes can be text or email to them. You know, it's just a little, does a lot of that for you. You know, it doesn't allow for those lost papers or, you know, things like that. It's really, really helpful. Um, I dare say like, if it's not ag world, I think probably the most popular one, a lot of ag world, all agros probably now are using some similar platform or Cirrus or I think back paddock or something like that. Uh, I think most people are using something like that now. Yeah, I think that's so too. I've actually got the CEO of Agwell coming up in November or December. I just got to time it when pretty jam-packed at the moment. But yeah, I think those sort of platforms, they're filtering through here, there and everywhere and just trying to see where they fit and who can best use them within agriculture. It's not just as simple as downloading an app, what it would be in any other industry. You sort of have to but the user has to know how to use it and be familiar with it before um, adopting that tech, wouldn't you say, for the farmers? Especially? Yeah, some, you know, there is that older generation farmers who are pretty computer illiterate, but it's more so, you know, knowing what you're doing to be able to use the app. Yeah. Um, I think having an understanding of why, why you're making what decision. Um, it's, yeah. It's, I don't think, I think it's quite widely spread. Most people probably got their heads around it now. I don't think it's anything too new, but it's been, I mean, I remember when I started using it and no one in the company I was working for was, and it was kind of, they had a different program and it was quite different and good then, but that was a little while ago now. And it did make a, you know, noticeable improvement. Um, it's almost like a mod con kind of thing, you know, yeah. just made everything a little bit easier and a little bit better. Yeah, and as time goes on, you said that you had it for seven or nine years, I think. Um, and yeah, as you yeah. compound that data, that's like you're really going to see, start to see the trends, especially once you got over five years. You can see what the connecting sort of um, years have if you haven't 
good years, shit years sort of thing. Um, so that's good to yeah. see that you're using a bit of tech yeah. out there. Yeah, I, I think most farms now use quite a bit these days, especially um, grain-growing properties in particular. I think there's a much wider and more broad uptake of um, ag tech. But, yeah, most properties are now relying on some. And even, you know, if it's not yourself, you know, you're paying a contractor with a weeded or a weed seeker too um, to come in and do spraying for you over summer. You know, it's quite a you know vast array and some of it's very impressive, the amount of offer and the amount used now. Yeah, the amount of money that you can spend on new equipment, like those weed seekers, there's a bit of money there, but there's definitely the benefits after purchasing that new equipment. For this year and I suppose last year, the COVID pandemic, how has it affected agronomy as such? Has it affected you or your clients? Um, I mean, the supply chain, is a, there's a fairly big issues there. Probably the inputs. Yeah, I mean, you're talking $1,000 for urea now and historically yeah. we've got it on farm for under 500 normally. Um, so there's that kind of thing, very little control over that. On the flip side, though, our output prices, our grain or our livestock prices, are, you know, the amount in the system are record highs. Um, you know, canola 1,000, selling steers for 2,500. It's, you know, even wheat at 320 for protein is fantastic. Um, so, you know, that kind of softens the blow of paying so much more for your Roundup or your seed or whatever you might be for the day-to-day stuff's not been a hell of a lot different, like not getting that, um, face-to-face contact, but being an essential worker and you are out on farm fairly often. Normally it's just doing a lot of solo work now, um, can make some more boring days, but yeah, it hasn't changed it a hell of a lot. You know, apart, from, you know, no more than regular day life, you know, living in the country, we've been relatively unaffected, particularly here on Bucky around Dubbo. But, um, yeah, it's not made the biggest difference, to be honest. Um, not in, like, what I do day to day, at least. Yeah. Oh, people do have to eat, so it's good for agriculture that we can still continue. bit unlucky being in Dubbo at the moment, but that's what it is. Um, and, well, the benefit of that is, this year's been unreal for livestock and also cropping. Let's just hope we can get those crops off nice and safe and they don't fall over with these rains coming mm. along. So yeah. within the, yeah, within I've, this harvest, like, what's your role going to be? Are you working on um, No, I'll do that mainly. Yep. Um, like once we kind of get the harvest, it's, you know, we kind of go back to, I'll go back to the property basically every day. Most other guys, well, most of my clients will run their own harvest. I'm sure I'll be talking to them a lot during it. Um, my job on the farm in harvest is normally a shit kicker. Um, I normally have to stack the bunkers and run trucks and things like that. Dad and uh, I spend a bit of time with Chase. have been dad and my younger brother, Matt, normally running the headers. Yep. And uh, we've got a couple of workers that help out with the maintenance too. But normally I'm left in charge of, yeah, the really shitty jobs. So someone's got to do them. It's okay with me. I'm just glad that they get done, to be honest. Um, wouldn't mind uh, not having to stack itchy barley in a hot day sometimes, but it is what it is. I understand. Well, that's what all encompasses working on a family farm. Someone's got to do that job and it may as well be you picking it up. But working on the family farm, what sort of goals are you setting over the next five, 10 years or even your um, for your career? rich for agronomy or both at home as well? Um, I guess looking family farm, we're trying to reach um, a point where we've got a really good balance between the farming and the livestock. 
you know, where, for example, 30% of our income comes from farming and therefore it's 30% of the work. It's probably a little bit skewed at the moment. Um, seeing we've, you know, been pushing into that diversification into that in particular over the last few years. So by sowing next year, we'll be on a fully controlled traffic system, three metre wheel tracks. Um, so that'll make a bit of a difference, a bit of earthworks happening over summer, just repairing some rollover contours. And uh, I think that'll make a big difference, just picking up some efficiencies in paddocks. Um, keep continuing the to develop the herd. Um, yep. We've done a lot portion of um, improving our pastures already so you know maintaining that and possibly improving it continuing to improve it um, is a big thing too um, I think we're quite interested in the idea of feed, running a feedlot on farm too a bit of integration of grain into our livestock there and gives us the potential to trade in and out depending on the season um, that's probably that the the farm at home for the agronomy company i just like to keep ticking away doing what i'm doing i'll never say no to more work until i can't but um yeah continue to grow the business and keep hopefully getting good results and then yeah i share farm myself only cropping though yeah so yeah i guess make a bit of money pay down a bit of debt and hopefully buy a bit more land along those lines over the next few years but it's um pretty hard to come by that's the goal well you better hurry up before it just absolutely unreachable land prices going through the roof um and something i'm trying to get onto podcasts the people listening to the podcast is optimizing the farms and agronomists out there are probably the best optimizers for getting the best out of the soil in their cropping program so that's pretty cool to have you on the show mate thanks very much for coming on for anyone out there looking to get into agronomy or they're a young starter What's the best way to get into it? Should we join a bigger agronomy company or how should we go about it? Or if you're looking to get some education? I think they're pretty desperate for agronomists anywhere of any kind of um, experience at the moment. But I think it's just got to start somewhere. And I was always told by one of the old agronomists when I first started, just try to be like a sponge and soak it all in. Um, You just, so much stuff gets thrown at you when you first start. But um, yeah, I think just trying to learn from as many smart people as you can. Um, yep. Take advice from everyone, take criticism from everyone um, and learn from it. I think, yeah, to be honest, there's good agronomists working privately and there's really good agronomists that work for companies too. So it doesn't matter where you are. Like you've got, you're more than likely going to have someone within your organisation that you can learn from. So for young agros, yeah, just take it all in. And um, yeah, that's probably the biggest word of advice for them, I would have thought. Absolutely. I think it's pretty good advice as well to pass that on for anyone listening to the show or share the show for Richard's Farms Advice as well. Well, mate, thanks for coming on to the Farms Advice podcast and giving us your expertise for the Harvest series. Who else would you like to hear on the Farms Advice podcast and why? I think last time we tried to record this, I couldn't think of anyone for the life of me, but um, I've haven't thought about it this time and I reckon Bob Freeburn would be a fantastic guest. Absolutely. I think I wrote his name down, um, but yeah, I'll have to get him get him on and have a pasture topic for sure. But nonetheless, mate, if anyone wants to get in touch with the huge Avendano agronomy and yourself, or even just learn a little bit from asking you a question, how can we do that online, social? Uh, yeah, I've got a Facebook page um, for my business. It's just Avendano Agronomics. It's nothing special. Not as active as I should be, just a bit busy. And uh, Twitter oh, profile, the handle's Avon Agro, A-G-R-O. 
also not that active, but I will reply to messages and post some insights when I do have time. Um, yeah, or you can call me or message me. I don't care what service, to be honest. Um, yeah, try to be active on social media, but it kind of slips down the um, job list. Yeah, 100%. The priority is the farm. Um, it gets hard for myself trying to push everything out, working on farm as well. But it'll all be in the show notes so you can find it all there. Rich, mate, thanks for coming on the show and being a part of the Harvest Series. No, thank you very much for having me and um, keep going with the podcast. It's amazing to see how it's grown. Absolutely. Cheers, mate. That's it for this episode. Thanks for tuning in to Rich and myself talk all things agronomy and how pre-planning to harvest time and agronomist has impact on the crops throughout Australia. That's within the harvest series. We've had four cracking episodes. So if you have liked these episodes, please share it on your social media so we can continue to spread the farm's advice so we can improve farms right across Australia and just make that impact as well. If we can improve one person or give a key takeaway to just one person, then we've done our job. We'll see you on Friday for another cracking harvest episode. Keep on farming. G'day farmers. Thanks for listening right to the end of this episode. If you'd like to win a Farms Advice hat, the very first one out of the box, make sure you head over to our Instagram to be in the chance to win the Farms Advice cap. See you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.